I've been uh, dealing with uh, the four maxims of uh, godliness, and you know a maxim is just a, a way to speak truth, to say a truth uh, about how something is happening, but a maxim of godliness or a truth of godliness is a truth about how the life of God or the character of God is shaped within our lives. And I've spent a lot of time on the first one, which is that we would know and take hold of that in our head, the activity of our mind, that we would understand who God is and what he's done for us. And the second one, that we would love and adore him. We're going we're gonna to live out of that one a little bit today as we talk. And the third one we've talked a little bit about is that we would be changed. That one will come into full view today. And then the fifth one, or the fourth one, because there's only four, not the fifth, is that uh, we will have to take a stand for him somewhere along the line. Now, I want to correct or dispel one misunderstanding about taking a stand for Christ. How many of you think when I say you're going to have to take a stand for Christ, think that maybe a milk carton or a soapbox is necessary and you're going to stand in the public square and you're going to point at people and say, sinner. Does that sort of come to mind when I say you're going to have to take a stand for him? Um, Don't do that. It doesn't work. If you've ever been on the receiving end, you know why it doesn't work. Okay, because it doesn't communicate love or grace or any of those things. By the way, um, another little piece of the thing we sang Amazing Grace this morning. Do you know what grace, do you know the acronym of grace? Do you know what it stands for? God's riches at Christ's expense. I want to make sure that we don't just get caught in the God's riches at Christ's expense thought process because a lot of people say, well, that God, he sent Jesus down here and it's kind of a form of child abuse and all that. Don't forget that when you're listening to God's riches at Christ's expense, that God chose to reveal himself in Jesus. So it's really God's riches at God's expense. So don't, don't separate those two in your mind when you say that. Christ was, was, the, was the way God showed himself and, and, and made the sacrifice for us. But don't ever separate out Jesus as saying, well, he was not God. Right, okay, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because otherwise you get caught in this little loop where you're going, well, well God sent his son, somebody down here and it, it didn't matter who it was just as long as he could adopt him. Some, some denominations or cults talk about adoptionism where Jesus was, was just a person that God adopted and just made him do it and it didn't really matter who it was. I don't want you to fall there. That's a bad spot, don't do it. Okay, so you've, you've all been in a place in your life where somebody goes, oh, don't, you're going to fall. And they grab your, that's one of those spots. I just did that for you. Don't do that. Okay. So here we go. Jesus came. I want to talk to you about this. Um, I'm changing the sermons going changing in my head just as we're doing this. And that's okay because I just want you to know when my alarm went off on the first service, and there was five minutes left. I was on page two of the six-minute, six-page sermon. <laughs> and I just want you to know that it's okay for the sermon to change sometimes. Sometimes the pastor bit off more than he can chew. Sometimes his eyes were too big and he filled his plate. Here we go. Let's read it from Ephesians as we start talking about how these God, 
these maxims of godliness actually change our lives. So this, I'll just read the first two verses, then we're going to talk about living in the light or living in love, walking in love. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, just, just as long as we're dispelling little rumors here, as soon as you accept Christ, you don't start smelling better. Right? You understand that there's more than one way to speak a truth in life, that, that two plus two is four is a truth. I've got my math teacher over here. That math speaks a certain truth, but sometimes poetry tells a truth that math can't do, and you need them both. And, and so as we talk about our senses, you know that we really trust our eyes, or our eyes are very exacting, and, and maybe our noses aren't quite as exacting, but I would tell you you actually trust your noses better than you trust your eyes. Here's the example. I did this in the first service. You walk into a house that looks spick and span, span, but something died in that house or it smells like that. Which one are you going to trust? Do you think the house is clean or dirty? When you walk in and the smell hits you. It doesn't matter what it looks like anymore, does it? I, I told the story about my mom. She uh, was putting away Thanksgiving decorations and had piled in all the Thanksgiving stuff and had put a little pumpkin in the plastic tub (laughs) and forgot about it. Um, They were telling the story just recently about how my dad had gone searching after the smell that was in their house. Now, he has taken toilets off seals and resealed toilets, and they're trying to find this smell, and they can't find it because there's no visible sign of it, right? He's redone some sheetrock because clearly they had a water leak or something going on. And then they were organizing their closet, and Mom pulled down the tub and took the lid. Whoa, that's not good. (laughs) That's the smell. And they took it outside of the the ironic part is she took the tub and everything outside after trying to clean it and put it on top of the garbage bin on garbage day and somebody came by and took the bin. (laughs) You know, um, if you're in a big city and you see furniture out on the street, don't take it home. (laughs) You don't know what it smells like. (laughs) Right? You don't know what's, you don't know the history of that bin. Uh, Yeah, there's a Big Bang Theory one where she, she saw us and it had something living in it. Anyway, how do we imitate God? Are, are some of you intimidated by the thought of imitating God? As the scripture says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, you are his dear children. Do you find that slightly intimidating? You know, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. This is how you do this. Okay, I'm going to share you the secret of biblical do this. It says, follow the example of Christ who died for for us. He he saw us in need and he came and he took care of our need because he didn't want to leave us in the spot we were. Paul would say, follow me as I follow him. This is how you do it. It's not to be intimidating that way, but it's to live a life of love. And, And the secret to loving God is this to knowing that you've been forgiven. There's, Jesus tells, tells a story about the one who's been forgiven much 
loves much. And so as you live your life and you start to remember where you were at, as our scripture will say in just a few minutes, once you were darkness. It doesn't say once you were in the darkness. It says you were darkness. If, if I would ask you to, you could look inside yourself and sort of see that in yourself. But this is what you do, is you realize that God came and forgave you of your sins, which caused you to be in a spot where you had a need not to fix the sins, but to fix the results of the sins, which was you were going to a place you didn't want to go and you were going to die and you needed some help with that. You might think sin is a self-help process, but it's not. But if you think sin is self-help, make no mistake, death is not a self-help process. You don't get to help yourself in that one, do you? When you're, when you're coming to a moment where you're dying, you need help. But this is it. So you've been forgiven much, and so you turn that love to God who did it, and you live this life. And you love him, but you also have to learn to receive the love and grace. And that's part of the loving process. Ted spoke this morning about um, somebody had asked him at the beginning of the service if he had any more M&M containers so that they could start saving money for their need. And he shared this thing that they have the money. Somebody wrote them a $6,000 check to complete the process so they have the money. And they talked about spending over half a million dollars on, on the adoption process and and where would they get that kind of money? And, and, and he said, Webster has $180,000 worth of hearing help on his head. Where do you get that money? Well, somebody raised that money. They gave that money. And he talked about this need to learn how to receive the gift. To let God provide sometimes means that you have to say to yourself, my job ain't cutting it, but God can. Now, Karen and I have experienced some of this, too. I shared this with him at the time. I had just uh, done a semester of seminary, and we were kind of doing seminary as we could afford it, which is to say slowly. And somebody in the church we were going to wrote us a check and said, go for a semester. And to do a semester in Vancouver, B.C., including living expenses, was about ten grand, and so it was paid for. And, and I know what it means to go, that's too much. I can't accept it. And yet God said, yeah, you can. And you don't know what ways, but as you learn to receive this love, this grace that's poured out on you, and you turn it back to him, and you love this way, and you, what you're really doing is you're learning how to love God the way that he loves Jesus and the way he loves other people, by loving you're not learning to do it by watching. You're learning to do it by doing it. And so this maxim of godliness where you adore the Father in heaven, it does this, but it's not learning just so that you can have this one-way, two-way street where you and God are communicating and you just love him, but the person that cuts you off in traffic doesn't receive love. 
the purpose of learning how to love this way is that you can learn to love unreservedly the people that are nearby you. That as you learn this love and it starts to ooze out of you, as it spills out of you onto the people near you, you start to love them the way that Jesus loves you and them. And pretty soon this is a street going this way, and so you learn how to love. This is a life of love. This is how we imitate God. By the way, when you're in the grocery store and you can't find a checker and you're in the spot, I mean, this is one of my particular annoyances in life. You go into the grocery store and there's 16 self-check stations, but you've got a cart full and there's, there's one line that's not at the self-check thing and there's 15 people in it and why can't they open another one? You know what? The manager of the store needs some love. <laughs> not ire. This is my particular thing. <laughs> because when they ask me, I've been known to do this. This is my mistake, okay? You can go to the self-checkout station. They would say to me as I'm walking by, it says, would you prefer me to leave my cart here (laughs) or some other place in the middle of the store? Because I would prefer to talk to an individual than work with a machine. I don't even really like drive-thrus. Because you have to talk to one of these things. I would go in and wait. I prefer it. But this is how we learn to imitate God. And for some of you, you might laugh about that, but I'm learning how to imitate God, and that means I'm not quite perfect or finished yet. Are you perfect or finished yet? I didn't think so either. I just want to make sure you knew. (laughs) So here it is. This is how we learn to walk in love. We do it by recognizing that God poured love out on us and we start giving it back and we, and we do this too. And, and pretty soon, the people that cut you off in traffic are not half as annoying as they used to be. And the people that bump your grocery cart aren't so bad. And pretty soon you end up, this is, this is something that my wife would tell you again if you asked her, send Dave to the grocery store and it might take three or four times longer than you'd expect. Because I'm going to end up talking to somebody in the aisle that I had never met. Or something I did the other day when I had one or two items, I let somebody with a cart go in front of me. Because they were in a hurry. And they sat there and go, why would you do that? And I said, well, I'm not in a hurry and you are. But this is kind of how we live out of this life of love. Now, that's not in me. That's God's life being birthed in me. Okay, so let's go on here for the next part of it. How do we walk in the light? I'm going to read the scripture, and then I'm going to read a little parable, and then we'll talk about it. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Notice that greed is in here on the same level as all the rest. Just want to notice that for a second. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse the sin, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things this, these people do, for once you were full of darkness, that's the translation here, once you were darkness in the Greek, but now you have light in the Lord, or in the Greek, now you are light. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Careful, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed by the light when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I'm going to read this parable. This is from Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort, um, his name is a misnomer. I think his main goal in life is to take the comfortable and make them uncomfortable. So he is actually Ray Discomfort to me. That's how I remember the author's name. But this is a, this is a Bible study called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Righteousness, a study of Romans. And this is uh, in one of the daily readings. There was a city once called Adam. It was a typical city with all sorts of vice, but much to the disgust of most of the residents, an unthinkable thing began to happen. A group of people started frolicking in the city's sewer. Adam's authorities advised the people to stay out of the sewer, but they ignored the warnings and continued to frequent it, saying that it would be their God-given right to do as they pleased. But after a while, the people became known as sewer rights, something they deeply resented. Most of the people in the city of Adam avoided contact with the sewerites because they knew that human beings were not created to play in the sewer. Aware of the public disapproval, the sewerites began a policy to subtly sway the populace into being more understanding, saying that they couldn't help their desires they were born with a craving for the sewer. Over time, they were also able to convince the public to call them happies rather than sewerites. This, they thought, would take away the taint of the name. The happies said that they were very proud to be happy and that those who disagreed with them were nothing but sewer-phobic bigots. With this new image, more people decided that they too were happy and also began to play in the sewer. Suddenly, the inevitable happened. Many of the happies became diseased directly as a result of frolicking in the sewer. Hundreds of thousands of them began to die horrible deaths. The happies leaders asked the residents of the city of Adam not to judge them by telling them to keep out of the sewer, but, but to be even more understanding. They said the answer was to be careful while they were in the sewer. They were not determined deterred from their filthy habit despite the unspeakable suffering. The story of the city of Adam would end there if it were not for the builder of Adam. He provided an eternal city for all who would lead their futile life in Adam, whether they played in the sewer or not. Since everyone had a sewer source in their own heart. 
new beautiful city in which there was no sewer nor anything unclean. He even sent his son to take them there. I want you to think about this. The Bible, by the way, is not anti-sex, as many would say. It is, it is pro-intimacy. It wants you to be intimate with God and then to treat others as, as they are loved by God. And so, he wants us to understand that no matter where we are, no matter what the darkness that was in us can be transformed into light. It's not a little thing that the Jews used to think of it this way, that whatever touched them made them unclean if it was unclean. So if you went walking around and somebody, something that was unclean touched you, it made you unclean. That was the Jewish belief. So now when you read the Gospels, I want you to recognize the people that touch Jesus that are unclean, what happens to them? They become clean. They are transformed. The, the Jews had it right. If you live in a life of sin, the stuff you're near transforms you into more darkness and makes your life more darkness, but you don't beat the light by just holding the darkness next to it. What happens when you take a dark room and you put a light bulb on it and you turn it on? The light causes the darkness to flee the area. That's the biblical witness about what light does. The question about whether or not you're going to represent, whether you're going to imitate God, whether you're going to be God's servant is a moot point. As soon as he was birthed in you, you are his witness. You are his representative. You are light. Are you very bright? That's the question. Because you've been transformed. He birthed life and light in you. So now walk in the light and not in the ways of darkness. As I go on in the scripture here, I want to read uh, Isaiah or Ephesians 15 through 7, 515. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. By the way, how many of you noticed in the Disney movies, every Disney movie has a bad person that yells somebody, somebody tells somebody else they're a fool. You fools, they always yell. What happens to the person in the Disney movies that calls the other people fools? Yeah, they don't make it. It comes back. So don't, don't be calling other people fools either. But don't live like them, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that would ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart. Just in case you were wondering whether you have an ability to make music, it's in your heart that that comes out of first. And give thanks to everything for to the God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do much else today. I do want to read this one little thing. It's, a, it's called the Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. Some of you will recognize this and others won't, but I wanted to read it to you this morning. This is what it means to walk in wisdom. 
So we've talked about walking in love, that, that, that life that you're being taught by loving God is to walk in love, the, the walk of being taught to, to understand that you are the light that walks around is to walk in the light now to be in wisdom. So chapter one, here is an autobiography. I walk down the street and there is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to get out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street and there is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't really my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I fall in. It's a habit. But my eyes are open and I know where I am. This is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five. I walk down another street. This is what it means to walk in wisdom, isn't it? We learn from this experience. How many of you have done the same old thing repeatedly and realized after a while that perhaps it wasn't just a hole in the sidewalk, but maybe you were aiming for it somewhere along the line? Now, just, just so you know, there's a hole in the other street too that you will go through this again isn't there? And then you'll walk down a different street and you'll know both of them. But the point of learning that there's a hole in the street and that your life has fallen into disrepair isn't so you can, once you're out of it, say, wow, I'm so good now and you're lost, fooey on you. The point of doing that is so that when somebody else is in the hole and you see it, you can help. There isn't anything in a life of love that goes neener, neener, neener. And so I want you to learn, as our God says, imitate me as I give to you, as my unsearchable riches are poured out when you didn't deserve it, to rescue you from a location you didn't want to go to. As you learn to love and that spills on to others, you also learn to have mercy on those that still have a destination in mind that isn't going to be any fun and they haven't quite met Jesus enough to know that he can punch them a different ticket. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for the chance to speak life, light, and wisdom. Help me live it too. In your precious name.